This is a moment when if you have your um, smartphone or tablet, you want to open it up and uh, through the Evangel app, you can follow along with the notes of what we're going to be talking about this morning. And uh, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that we're in the middle of a series called The Story which is taking us through the whole Bible, chronologically, beginning to end. We started last fall. We're going to end next month. We're, uh, we're just about five weeks left in the whole thing. And so we've been going through the whole thing, and it's been quite a journey. And so today, uh, if you've been reading ahead or you've been checking into what we're doing, we're on chapter 27, which is called The Resurrection. And uh, it's, it's just, we're just going to talk through it a little bit and just kind of look at the story that happens there because it's a little bit of chaos and a little bit of confusion around the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, some of us have been in church so long or so many times, we go, well, yep, good Friday he died, Saturday they waited, Sunday he rose from the dead, and woo, and it was good, and all was well after that. And we don't, we don't really realize, we don't stop and think about the amount of... Um, just chaotic bits and confusion and what is happening moments that were happening around the whole thing. And so we kind of want to look at that today. And, and we just start right away with, with Friday. It's, it's Friday. It's what we call Good Friday now, but it was just Friday then, and none of them would have said it was a Good Friday as Jesus is crucified. And, uh, and he has died now, and he's on the cross. His body is hanging there, but he's dead. And it's, it's getting near the end of Friday. And, and the religious leaders, the ones who orchestrated in order for, um, for Jesus to be crucified. And he's there with a couple of other criminals that also were killed. And they don't, the, these religious leaders, they don't really want bodies hanging on crosses for the weekend because it's Passover. And this is supposed to be the weekend when they're celebrating the Israelites coming out of Egypt, God's people being brought out of slavery in Egypt, the whole story of Moses and those plagues, which you all know because you've been walking through this, this story with us. That's what they're supposed to be celebrating this weekend. And Jesus' dead body hanging on a cross is not going to help with that celebration. And for them, they're going, his visible body is not helpful. It would just be better if everyone just forgets he ever existed, get his body off the cross, get him to disappear. That's the end. We don't want to have any more of that. And so the bodies are taken down off of the, off of the crosses. And then Jesus' body is placed in a tomb. And, and this we go, okay, so his body was placed in a tomb. No, this is chaotic and confusing as well because nobody saw this coming. And so the disciples, they're probably still afraid of what's going to happen next. 24 hours ago, they didn't know Jesus was going to be killed. And now he's dead, and they're probably staying a little bit below the radar because they're a little afraid they're going to be next. And even if they aren't afraid, they don't have any plans in place. They haven't made any funeral arrangements for how to bury Jesus. They probably don't have the financial means to, to take care of his body properly. And there's no plan in place. And it all has to be done before sundown on Friday night, before the Sabbath begins. And they're sleep deprived and they're in shocked grief. And they just, they don't have any plan. And it's just what, what, what's going to happen. And so look who comes along in this story. And, and you might remember as we've been walking through this whole thing that there are um, a few leaders, a few of leaders in the Jewish community and the religious community who have quietly checked out Jesus, who have quietly interacted with Jesus. Some of them have even become followers of Jesus. They just haven't gone public with it yet because there's a big cost for them if they do, and they're just not ready to do that yet. And so a couple of them come along. 
And here's what it says in the story on page 381, if you're following in the book, or it's in uh, John chapter 19 in your Bibles. It says, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate, that's the governor who made the legal arrangements, uh, asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. Didn't fear Pilate, the governor, but feared, feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. And he was accompanied by Nicodemus, who you remember, because we talked about him, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. And somehow the two of these guys, Joseph and Nicodemus, somehow they have figured out that each is sympathetic to Jesus. Somehow they have figured out that each of them is supportive and maybe a follower of Jesus. And they've had, you know, some tentative conversations like, hey, I think he's not bad yet. Me too. And they've managed to, to connect. And somehow now they have managed to communicate to each other, let's, let's take care of Jesus' body. We have to do this. And, and they have to take, they've decided they're going to take the risk of giving him a proper burial, which means they have to go to, uh, these Jewish leaders have to go to Pilate, a governor who is no friend of the Jewish people, and ask for the body of this criminal. They have to go there, risk their reputations with that, and even more of a risk, they're probably hoping that the religious leaders won't notice who it is that is caring for Jesus' body. And so here's what it says. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So they put his body in the tomb, and, and then what? Then, well, just just go, just go home to your family as if this is a normal day. Do you just do you just go and well, okay, it's Passover now, yay, let's celebrate Passover. I don't know how that how that looks, and and somehow they must have managed to get a message to the disciples, to Jesus' disciples, to say, hey, we we cared for the body, and here's where it is. So after Sabbath is over, if you want to go, this is where it is, and and the scripture goes on. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week, on Sunday, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the Roman guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men, like they fainted. Okay. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified he is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And the angel finished giving that message to the women that were there, and they said, oh, thank you so much for that, angel of the Lord. Thank you for that message that you have given us. We shall now go calmly 
to our comrades and give them the message. And thus, we shall all carry on with calm, quiet, assurance, and solid faith. Thank you, one of you, for laughing. No, that's not what happened. This is not what happened. The women who saw an angel, and by the way, I don't want to harp on this a little bit, but the women who saw an angel and didn't faint, as opposed to the Roman guards, I'm just saying, they ran to the disciples. Like they just took off, ran to the disciples. And the Bible says that they were afraid yet filled with joy, which is code for super happy and also freaking out. And they come back and they start going to the disciples. Oh my gosh, we saw saw an angel and he said that Jesus is alive. And the disciples, they don't know what to think. So two of them, they just take off and they go running back to the tomb and you go, what were the other ones doing? I don't know. Maybe they were questioning the women. Go, what? What are you talking about? We saw an angel. How do you know it was an angel? Did it have wings? Do you know? Did it have a little halo over its head? Was it floating in the air? What kind of a, and what did he say? Are you sure you saw an angel? I mean, how much sleep did you get last night? Because this has been a very difficult time for all of us. And it would be understandable if your imagination got away from you, you know, a little bit. No, 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 no. It's not that I don't believe you. I believe that you believe you saw an angel, right? Maybe they were questioning the women like that. Or maybe uh, the disciples that were left behind while these two took off and ran to the tomb, maybe the ones that were left behind just got angry because sometimes we get angry when we're grieving and said to these women, you know what? Can you just, just stop it? Just stop. We all saw him die. It's, it's over. Stop, stop this nonsense. I don't know. But Peter and John, they go running to the tomb. And it says both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed, but they still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So the two of them go off running, these two men. The women come back, and the two men go running, and they run to the tomb, and one is faster than the other, but then he gets there, and he's afraid to go in, so he just kind of looks, and the other just bombs up behind him and shoves him out of the way and goes barreling right into this empty tomb to see what's happening. And then there's this interesting phrase that says, he saw and believed, even though he didn't really understand. He saw and believed. Believed what? I'm not sure believed that something had definitely happened that was important and that God was in it. So those two go running back to the disciples and the conversation likely just exploded again. We were there. We saw the empty tomb. Did you see the angels that the women saw? No, we didn't see them, but, but I think he's risen. How do you know? Well, go see for yourself. And it just keeps on going. And then this next part happens and it's still the same day. And it's such a fun part of the story. It's, it's on page 384, Luke 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, 
Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. This is Sunday afternoon. But they were kept from recognizing him. <laughs> okay, somehow they, they don't recognize him. Something has maybe changed about his appearance, or maybe they're just too locked down in their own grief to even consider it, but they're just walking along. They have no idea who it is that's walking with them. And he asked them, hey, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked. <laughs> About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then, then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, no, 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 stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Oh, okay, sure, that'd be great. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Gone. Just like that. Says grace, starts handing out the bread, gone. Just like that. And then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I knew something was up. I knew something was up too. Yeah, but I think I knew before you did. I just had this feeling that something was happening. Well, no, I just, you know, I knew when we were passing that tree and they're just, and so then they got up, they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. And now they add to the chaos of what's already happening, of what's already happening because the women are there still going on about an angel. And Peter and John are there talking about believing something that they don't understand. And now these two arrive and it says that there they found the 11 and those with them because the group is getting bigger, assembled together and saying, it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then these two told what, what, what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And they go, wait, what? When he what? What, what, did, what did he do? Well, he, he gave thanks and then he broke bread. Wait, he did that on Thursday night. 
when we were all at supper together, he, he, he broke bread, he gave thanks. What, what did he say? Something like, this is my body broken for you. And a chill just starts to sweep across them. And then, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Hey, (laughs) peace be with you. Which is good that he did that because they were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. (laughs) And I, I think, now the scripture doesn't say this, so allow me, but I think that Jesus maybe chuckled a little bit when they're like, Ah! It's a ghost. No, 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 it's not. It's okay. Look, not a ghost. It's me. Look, here's my hand. You can feel my hand. See? Look, feet. Like a Hey, you guys got anything to eat? And they're like, and so they gave him, it says, a piece of broiled fish. Fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. See? Not a ghost. <laughs> and it says it was hard to believe because of all of their joy and their amazement. And, and it just, you know, it's just a lot to take in, this whole resurrection thing. It's a lot of information to take in. And, and this is what happens over the next 40 days. There's just these moments when he just appears or when he spends time with them or then he's gone again. And it's a little bit different than it was before, but it's still really amazing. And then, then there's this one night, you know, when, when they're out fishing, he's not with them. They don't know where he is. And they're out fishing and they catch nothing. And they're out on their boats and this voice calls from the beach, hey, did you catch anything? And they go, no. And the voice says, you know, you should throw your nets on the other side. And they're like, wait, we've heard this before. And it's a little deja vu. And they just throw the nets over on the other side. And sure enough, suddenly the nets are just full of fish, miraculously. And then it says in John chapter 1, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John. That's what he calls himself, which is the best name ever. We should all call ourselves the disciple whom Jesus loves. It's the best ever. And so then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, that's the Lord. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. Okay. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. And, you know, they just sat on the beach and had breakfast with the guy that they had watched die. Like that's normal. And and this is... There's like 40 days of this, of, of stuff happening, and they're just not really sure. It was still a lot to take in. And so after 40 days, it says, Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And so Jesus said, How? Can you still be doubting? I can't work like this. And he made them get rid of everyone who had any doubts left at all so that they couldn't be in his presence. Again, thank you to the one who laughed. No, that's not what he did. Some doubted. And even with those doubters in the crowd, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All the authority. 
So now I'm going to tell you what to do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, there were a lot of reactions to Jesus' resurrection, to this whole thing. A lot of chaos. Some could, we like to think it was just instant joy and unending faith and nobody ever had a doubt again, but that's not how it was. Some of them had to be told a bunch of times. Some of them had to see or hear it for themselves. They wouldn't take anybody else's word for it. Some of them, they actually needed God to open their eyes or open their understanding so that they could believe. And so during this time, there's a whole lot of gathering together and telling the stories and retelling and then asking questions and talking about what each other was saying and expressing their doubts. And then somebody goes, no, I saw him. And then somebody goes, well, she saw. Yeah, but do you think she imagined? No, because Peter saw it too. And there's just this, all of this back and forth. And here's the cool thing is Jesus doesn't seem to think that's a problem. He's okay with that. There's no condemnation. There's no judgment for not understanding right away, for not believing right away. He doesn't seem to mind holding out his hands and going, go ahead, touch for real, not a ghost, doesn't seem to mind doing that, doesn't seem to mind repeating breakfast. You know, he just keeps repeating breakfast, repeating the story, just keeps doing what he's doing, making them breakfast, tell, letting them figure out the story again while they get used to the idea. He doesn't seem to mind their confusion. And in fact, even at the end, when he's giving the final instructions and there's still some doubting, he still gave those ones the same instructions that he gave to the ones who were fully convinced. And can I just say, I think there are some thoughts worth paying attention to here. For each of us as individuals and for our community of faith, for the church as a whole. I just think there's some things. The first thing I think is, you don't have to understand everything about the Christian faith in order to believe. Oh, how many are relieved by that? I mean, I know that there's one or two of you here and you you just got it all figured out. You understand all of it, but I ain't one of them. And you don't have to understand everything about the Christian faith in order to believe. Peter and John believed even though they didn't understand. And they went on to become like the first leaders of this new Christian church. And so, so that's okay. And if you're going to expand that to the whole community of faith, then that means the church and the community of faith needs to be a place that is okay with that. That is okay with, with not understanding everything. That is okay with, with believing even when there's still some mystery and we don't have all the answers. Because we actually think that our faith... And our belief should be bigger than, than our understanding. If it's not, it's a very small faith. Actually, it's just, it's just knowledge if it fits within our understanding. That's just knowledge. It's not faith at all. You don't have to understand everything about the Christian faith in order to believe. Here's a second thought. You don't have to be free of doubts to be included in God's work or God's plan. Oh, isn't that great? Jesus didn't exclude 
the ones who had doubts. He didn't send them off to another class and say, come back and talk to me when you're doubt-free. He didn't do that. He just said, still got doubts? Still, you can go into the world and make disciples, which is crazy because we would never do that. How are you going to send somebody out to sell it, to sell this product, when they aren't even sure if they believe it, when they still have doubts? You can't sell a product that you don't believe in with any kind of integrity. Of course, Jesus isn't selling a product. He's just inviting people to belong, inviting people to be connected with God. And you don't have to be free of doubts in order to be included in that plan. You don't have to be all in to take the first step on the journey. Just just stick around. Just stick around. You're welcome to be here. And, And that means then that a community of faith has to be safe for that. A church has to be safe space for those who doubt, for those who aren't sure yet, who are like, I don't, I don't know if this is real. I don't really. And you go, well, why do we have to be safe space for those kind of, well, because they're still here. Hello? They're still here searching for God, searching for Jesus. And, and if he didn't demand that people be free of doubts in order to follow him, I'm not going to demand it. So it's important that we do. Here's a third one, and this is my favorite one. You ready? Food and friends are a big part of faith. Okay? Turn to the person beside you and go, oh, amen. Amen. Food and friends are a big part of faith. They're so important. This is real life. This is not just some isolated spiritual experience, some individual thing, you know, weird mystical thing going on. Following Jesus is not just an individual thing separate from other people. They, they, all of these people had different experiences and then they gathered together. And they came together and they told their stories. They stuck together. They compared notes and they ate. They ate food. You go, well, I just, listen, even Jesus ate. Hey, you guys got any food? And he, and he just chewed and swallowed in front. He ate. Can I just tell you, conversation is always better over a smoked meat sandwich. Right? It's always, friendships are formed when we eat together. Walls come down when we eat together. Conversations happen when there's food. And and if the church doesn't know that, I'll let you know, Montreal knows that. The province of Quebec, we know that where friendships are, food is, and the two of them go together. And can I just say to you that a community of faith, a church, needs to be about more than just coming in on Sunday morning, sitting in your chair, facing this direction, singing some songs, listening to me, and then walking out again. It's got to be more than that. It's got a community of faith has got to have opportunities for you to connect, and we have them. It's got to have moments where we reach out to each other in friendship, and we and we build friendships together. And we need to have food as often as possible. Sharina <laughs> uh, uh, was just talking about the Alpha program that's starting in July. I just want you to know it's not just an exploration of faith. It's doing it with friends, and there's going to be food. And you go, well, I'm a fan of food. Well, that's great. You should come. Also, we need some people to help cook food. So if you're one of those that wants to step up, you can. I'll just leave that there 
for you, okay? But this is how we build shared faith. This is how it strengthens our individual faith. When we tell each other the stories and we share the stories and we share our individual faith, it builds our faith together when we share together what we have experienced and known of God. Our shared faith is bigger than just us. And our shared faith is bigger than just this church. What? I thought we were the only ones. Uh Uh-uh. We are part of something that's bigger than us. We are part of something that that is part of all the churches in Montreal. And we are part of a fellowship that's called the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. You can see their logo up there. It's our fellowship. It's our denomination, whatever word you want to use. It's our, our tribe. And you go, oh, I guess you think you're better than everybody else. No, we don't. It's not exclusive. We don't think we're the only ones going to heaven. But this is our community. This is our family. This is our fellowship. And And in case you were wondering... PAOC, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, is 100 years old this year. 100 years old, which is, which is kind of cool. And your 100th birthday is a great opportunity to share the stories of what God has done, not just in this church, but in all of the churches that are part of our fellowship across Canada and around the world. And we are part of that, and you are part of that. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to show you a video And you go, oh, is it just a nice video with actors? No. Real Canadians, real people who are part of the same fellowship that we're in, part of our tribe. And and I want to show you the greater community that we are all part of as we celebrate the 100th birthday of PAOC on Pentecost Sunday. People who don't have all the answers but still have faith. People who still have some doubts but they're still following Jesus people who are building friendships and sharing their faith together. Go ahead and take a lot. Take a look. At our earliest roots, we gathered, recognizing Christ as our Savior, our healer, baptizer, and coming King. From that foundation, this Pentecostal fellowship began. Our early days were formed as individuals responded to the Spirit's leading. These included the son of a former slave who preached in an old stable, a female healing evangelist and urban missionary, a real estate agent who held meetings in his home, and a young man who strapped his Bible to his plow while working the fields, memorizing and reciting entire chapters of scripture at a time. Ordinary, everyday people in many ways, but full of faith, seeking for more of what God had for them. They were history makers, legacy builders, groundbreakers, men and women who took the gospel where the Holy Spirit led them to go. Our charter forming the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada was signed in 1919, and decade after decade, the Lord's work has gone forward. Six Bible colleges were established between 1925 and 49. We are presently training over 700 students. Eight Pentecostal camps were formed in the 30s and 40s, and thousands have come to faith and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in those settings. In the middle of the last century, gospel boats took the good news to isolated communities along the B.C. coast and prairie lakes. Planes like Wings of the Gospel helped us reach into northern Ontario, Quebec, and Manitoba. Sunday schools were birthed to systematically disciple all ages and laid a foundation for the growth of youth ministries and many local church congregations. Numerous missionary families were sent out from among us, including Bill and Lillian Cornelius, who served in Kenya for over 20 years. In the early 80s, they returned to Canada, and Bill led our overseas missions department. Today, his son Murray serves as our POC Family International Missions Director. 
They are just one of many families where the torch for mission and ministry has been passed down from one generation to the next. Through Crusaders, Christ's Ambassadors, Bus Ministries, and various team outreaches and missions programs over the years, we have invested strongly in discipling the next generation. This is still our heart and focus today. In 1983, Erdo was formed. Today, over 8,200 children are sponsored. Clean water flows in thirsty communities, nutritious meals are provided, and entire communities are impacted. Through the good work of Erdo, we are able to respond when crisis strikes. Globally, we are active in 77 countries. And through our work and partnerships, we have seen over 50,000 churches planted and 35,000 leaders trained and released to pastor over 12 million people. We extend our reach through more than 340 global workers and a growing Mission Canada team tracking towards 40 workers by 2020 to reach unique gaps in our nation. We are thankful for the faithful commitment of 1,200 affiliated assemblies, church plants, satellites, and missional initiatives who call the POC family. We minister to more than a quarter of a million Canadians each week in 39 languages. Over 13,000 have come to Christ in this past year. More than 5,600 were baptized in water and over 3,100 received the infilling of the Spirit. We have been and continue to be a family that believes in the power of Jesus to save, baptize, and heal. We are a people who provide witness to the miraculous ways God is changing lives. And all of this brings us to this moment today. Today, we, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, acknowledge God's faithfulness. We celebrate 100 years. We reflect on God's goodness to us. What began with a small group of people seeking for the Holy Spirit to move has developed into a far-reaching fellowship that is impacting the globe. But we are not satisfied with where we are. We do need the Holy Spirit to convict hearts, change lives, and empower people today like never before. We have set a vision that cannot be reached by our efforts alone. We are hungry for God to move in new ways and new places among different people groups. We are asking Him to move among our children and youth, the generation that needs to experience the supernatural power of God at work. We picture a future where Jesus Christ is lifted high in every community so all can know and experience His power and presence. Today, we commemorate, we reflect on all God has done. Yet there is no greater way to acknowledge His faithfulness on this 100th anniversary than to seek for a fresh visit of His Spirit in our churches, our homes, in our communities, across our nation, and for our world. Let's unite today in prayer as challenged by our General Superintendent, David Wells, and ask God to pour out His Spirit on us once again, as He did at Pentecost. Spirit, come. Fill us. Change us. Influence us in such a way that we would live out our faith every day in a way that is vibrant and alive. Help us to stand firm on your word, passing it from one generation to another. Challenge us to speak life into our desperate situations. Empower us to go to those around us and to the far-reaching corners of the world, making disciples, baptizing those who follow you, and teaching this world your ways. Visit us with that power of Pentecost once again that we may boldly serve you and proclaim your name until you return. Not in our strength or power, but by your spirit, Lord. Would you stand with me? Turn the person beside you and just go, we are part of something awesome. Go ahead. We are part of something awesome. I'm going to close us in prayer this morning. If you're comfortable doing it, would you just grab hands with the people that are on either side of you? Stretch across the aisle if you want. And if you're not comfortable with it, that's fine. But I just want to join together in unity this morning as we pray. God, 
Jesus, you rose from the dead. You birthed the church. And you are still changing the world. You are still transforming lives. And we get to be part of that. God, in the name of Jesus, we have said so many times in this church that when we walk out of here, we go to do good and to love each other and to reveal Jesus to a world that desperately needs him. God, on this, on Pentecost Sunday, on the 100th anniversary of of our fellowship, God, would you be delighted to pour out your spirit again? to pour out your Holy Spirit in each of our lives, not just for some, you know, thrilling spiritual experience, but to empower us to carry the good news of who Jesus is into our world. We each have people in our lives that we are longing for them to understand who Jesus is, and we need, God, your power to work in us so that we can do and we can join in with your plan for their lives and we can help them to see and help them to to be able to make a choice. So, God, I'm asking for that empowering today. I'm asking you to pour out your spirit, not just at this moment, but in an ongoing way today, tomorrow, Tuesday, and as the week goes on. And would you help us, God, as we walk out of here, to walk out knowing that we carry Jesus and that Jesus is still changing the world. Go with us, Lord. Help us to walk in your footsteps. Bring us back safely next week. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name, everyone said together. Amen. God bless you. If you want to receive prayer this morning, we have people at different ministry stations through the sanctuary. You're welcome to come. They will pray with you. Make sure you say hi to somebody and, you know, even invite them to go for lunch with you and share some stories of what God has done in your life and build some friendships over food. God bless you. Have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.